Hi, pals. Welcome to the Leaders Learning Podcast from Simply Stated Productions. I'm Blaine Hill, and I bring you conversations with the best leaders in the church, those leaders engaged in the active guiding and shaping, the listening to and giving direction for congregations and institutions of the church. We will especially look at how Christ calls us to lead in the middle of the many challenges of 2020. I'm very pleased to introduce today's guest, the Reverend Audrey Hartness-Reese, the pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Westminster, South Carolina. Audrey and her husband, Ash, have hearts for local and international missions. They have been to India twice to work with women and children, preventing, intervening, and caring for those caught in the trafficking workforce. Audrey loves serving in a small church and in a small town. Both are where her leadership gifts have a big Audrey, welcome to Leaders Learning. 2020's had a lot of surprises for everybody. Uh, have you been particularly surprised by anything inside the, in the church itself? In my context, the, um, the, su- the surprise was the response to virtual worship, right? Like, this, I have a 138-year-old sanctuary that had a phone line at one point in time, but it was prob- probably a rotary phone. Um, didn't have internet. If we recorded something, we went straight from our phone. And, um, so it, it became a shock to our system that this was going to be the only way we could actually worship, Um, which it was for many. I'm not alone in that. But what surprised me is how much things have increased rather than decreased. So our giving has increased. Our attendance in some capacity has increased. We, you know, I introduced Zoom and you would have thought that I just gave them the second coming. They have taken it and they've used it in their own personal lives. You know, they're like, oh, it's okay if we can't worship. We can Zoom. We can Zoom, Reverend Audrey. You know, and so it's exciting and surprising to see that um, something that I expected to be really, really hard for people to wrap their heads around has just been a gracious gift. That's great. So I hear you also saying that in addition to latching onto that, that tool for, for worship, they've used it in other places as well. Yeah, we've done it as a, we've had one session meeting where we offered it and we do um, our women's groups have done three zoom meetings now. And now what they are doing, they have like one, one lady has downloaded zoom and she hosts monthly like happy hours with her friends that are spread out across the country. And it's a way for this, like a group of college friends that they can't visit with. And so it's a way that they get to do that now. Yeah. I think a lot of us have found that we are catching up with old friends who are far away more often than we used to. Yeah. Uh, and that's been a pleasant, been a pleasant surprise, certainly for me. Uh, we, we even had a, a couple weeks where we had lunch, uh, visited with mom and dad after lunch on Sunday. It felt very old school. It was nice. Yeah, cool. One of the things I've I've struggled to know how to lead in the midst of several very large social upheavals. Any one of these things by themselves would be a, a big adjustment. COVID, police injustice really brought to the forefront, social protest, civil unrest, and powerful political divisions. Those are the ones I could think of. There are probably some more. I, I wonder what you have seen or learned about leading in the church with combined challenges at hand. 
I don't know that this is necessarily about leadership, but um, people are willing to learn. People, people, people are now starting to realize that police brutality is not just a figment of black people's imaginations. Um, I had a interesting situation with a 76 year old member of mine. We were taking a young woman out to dinner to talk to her about her college opportunities. We get in the car. This was right after the George Floyd death. We get in the car and she says to me, Audrey, what is black lives matter? And I said, well, it's, it's, in my opinion, it's the 21st version of the civil rights movement. Okay. I said, there's a protest going on in Seneca that's supposed to be peaceful. If you want to drive by, we can go after we get done with dinner. Totally expected her to say, ah, that's a little too much for me. Not going to do it. We get done with dinner. And, you know, Molly went her separate way. Lou and I get in the car. And she's like, let's, let's go. Let, let's go where? Totally forgot about it, right? Let's go downtown. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So we drove downtown and they were just assembled outside of city hall um, on the side of a pretty predominant highway. Downtown Seneca runs through highway 28, which is pretty predominant and um, kind of like, I think it's four lane. And, and anyway, we drove by, we honked our horns, we waved in support. We get down the road to the stop sign and there's a guy that has a sign. He's uh, an African-American guy walking with a white woman And he has a sign that says, please don't kill me. And she immediately starts crying. Just lost it. And you know me well enough to know that she starts crying. I start crying. And we're just a boohoo and mess in the car. We keep going up the road. And I said, do you want to turn around and go back by? She said, yeah, I do. Let's turn around and go back by. Well, on the way to taking her home, I said, listen, there's a panel discussion that I am going to tomorrow evening that is supposed to be a chance for us to talk or, or to listen to different leaders in the community talk about how we can build unity and build bridges rather than build walls. Are you interested in going to that? Said, yeah, I want to go. It was hosted by the 2018 class of Seneca High School. So 20 year olds. They put on probably the most organized panel discussion event I've ever seen or been a part of in my life. And they are, they have created an organization called Emerge which is trying to just educate our little area of the world about some of the injustices that people of color um, deal with. So uh, all of those things, you know, that you listed, you know, COVID, um, Black Lives Matter, um, social, what, what, what social protest looks like and when it's done well and what it looks like when it's not done well and, how we, how we lead through that. I think more than anything, the thing that I have learned is not to be surprised by people when they wake up, but to be able to be there in that moment with them. Um, I've spent a whole lot of time educating myself. In fact, I texted one of my church members. I was like, I have read so much stuff that has just made my heart heavy. I need a really light book. What you got? She gave me some, you know, be tree to read um, so that I can kind of take a break from reading the heavy stuff. I, yeah, I think that's one of the things that I have learned in, in leading is don't be surprised. Don't, you know, the young voice has something to teach us and, and the older voice is actually waking up. That's great. I really appreciate that. That's just a wonderful story and interesting that it brings up the, this, a kind of theme related to the first thing that you said, just about flexibility. In mm-hmm. both cases, people have demonstrated a flexibility that 
uh, I, I haven't anticipated, and it sounds like maybe you didn't quite as well. How about the, the life of congregations as a whole? Has the year revealed anything, not so much as about individuals, but uh, uh, about the congregation as a body together? Our buildings aren't nearly as important as we think they are. I mean, they're just not. You know, there are, are collectively as, as the church, the buildings aren't as important. Um, J. Herbert Nelson was just, um, I was trying to look where I found it. He was just installed, right, as the clerk again. And he said that. And then he went on to talk about how um, anytime Jesus went into a building, he got thrown out of them. It's like, <laughs> that's a really amazing observation. True statement there. Uh, You know, so that to me has been the biggest thing. The other thing that has kind of been um, sort of a general observation is, you know, churches, leaders are either going to speak out or not speak out, and our congregations will follow suit. And I don't necessarily mean when I say speak out that we're going to get up there and proclaim Black Lives Matter and hang a banner, right? I would be let go of my position if I did that in Westminster. But what I can do is speak the truth of the gospel in love. I can name it. And when I do that, those conversations filter out into the community and into the world. Right. So the the preaching, it sounds like the preaching of the gospel uh, is, is meant to move out into the community. And you're seeing that in a way that's happening in the midst of all of this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder what you've learned that was really new, uh, or, or maybe the opposite is just as true. There's something in the first half of this year confirmed for you. Had no idea that I would be expected to become a televangelist in one week flat. <laughs> and tech guru and um, worship production. This has been a big kind of peeve of mine in the age of virtual worship is um, – but folks mean well, right? But they they want to comment and say, um, worship was great, but can you do this next time? Can you turn those lights off? And, you know, finally I looked at my folks. I said, worship is not a production. Never thought in small church ministry those words would come out of my mouth. Right. You know, if I was serving at Sunrise where um, they were kind of on this, they were on the cusp of doing digital stuff even back in 2008-9 when I left, um, I could see saying that. Oh, yeah, like I said, worship is not a production. Not not something that I thought, so that's both new and confirmed. Not something I expected to have to say to small church, 138-year-old Westminster Presbyterian. So it's not really news, just new there, having to, right. to, to remind people of that. I wonder if that has something to do with the idea of we're used, we're so accustomed to seeing certain kinds of production on Facebook of certain quality. In our house, we can, we, because our, our church streams onto YouTube, we can watch it in our, on our TV in our living room. And so we're accustomed to a certain sort of production quality on our television that we may not anticipate on our phone. And mm-hmm. uh, so I imagine other people have that, uh, some of that same experience. And so we have to adjust for that sometimes. What, no, what shifts have you noticed in the leaders of your congregation? In the, as far as the larger denomination is concerned? That would be great to hear about. I was thinking of your congregation, but the denomination as well. 
whatever you uh, feel. Believers like. in, in my congregation, um, I I think what I've noticed more than anything has just been again it goes back to this flexibility uh, that I didn't think they really possessed. Sad for me to say that out loud. Um, we have we have church types, right? And those church types get put on session often. And um, I think we, I think I, as a pastor, am guilty of kind of keeping those folks in their box. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, when we made the decision to shut down, physically shut down, I was overwhelmed that um, session just owned it and named it. Uh, we got ready to reopen and it was, you know, masks have to be required. That surprised me. Um, but, and I think that what COVID has done is um, more than anything, if you're not already uber aware of your mortality, you are when you're faced with a global pandemic. And you have to lead a church through that. And you have to be a part of that. You know, I, I think often as pastors, we're, we're, we can be guilty of manipulating a, manipulating a vote, manipulating a conversation, you know, because we're human. Sure. I was very clear with session that unless my vote needed to break a tie, I was not going to have a vote. And I was not going to be the guiding voice of this, this was going to be their decision one way or the other. And both times, I mean, the reopening one got a little, reopening got a little messy because right before we, we had our target date set three weeks, right? And then we have a spike in Oconee County, you know, and my pastoral care elder calls and goes, do we need to reconsider this? And again, I had to take it right back to them and it narrowly passed for us to reopen. But what I saw was a willingness to bend a little more than I've ever seen them before in leadership and to really own it. I think that's a big shift in leadership is um, so from a session perspective, they've really, um, really owned being the guiding leadership of the church. They understand that we, meaning the elders, ruling and teaching elders are actually in a partnership with one another in ministry that it's not, I say, so you go out and do in regards to other shifts. We created a worship team overnight, just like we became televangelists overnight. And that gave a different group of people, leadership responsibilities, right. Um, And gave, well, my volunteer choir director, she, I mean, she's been my right hand woman for seven years. That hasn't changed, but she recognized that there were things that I was doing that I don't necessarily need to do things that I've gripped about doing for seven years, which is why I wanted to have a church secretary. And that just never came into fruition because she said she would do it. Well, now she's actually doing that. She's actually acting as church secretary, which takes a break off of me um, and gives her some ownership in worship. Sounds again like uh, the, the theme of uh, flexibility has come to play not only for you, but for them once again. And uh, it really sounds like your leaders have stepped in, up in the face of a, a real challenge. So I, I kind of want to wrap up uh, with a very pragmatic question. What have you learned that's been very practical? And what practical suggestions can you make 
to other church leaders? Wi-Fi. Don't try to do it on a Wi-Fi hotspot. Don't fake the Wi-Fi. Have Wi-Fi. I mean, and that sounds basic, but I have learned in small church ministry, you know, if you're sitting in even a medium-sized church or a small program church, the likelihood of you having Wi-Fi is probably there. You know, you don't have to worry about that. But for older, smaller congregations, that's a real thing. You know, and so we went... 10 weeks trying to do this thing on a hot spot and it was successful, right? Until we got people in the building and then all of a sudden the hot spot goes crazy and it's just different. So there's that practical suggestion. Number one, have Wi-Fi. practical suggestion. Number two, don't try to be it. Especially back in the building. Like I think in reopening, I tried to continue to, to be both pastor and tech guru. And I had to let some of that go. Um, and I think that that's, I, I mean, it's no secret that I struggle with that. I like to hold on to as much control as I possibly can. And then God says, you're not going to be able to do that with this new technology that's been gifted to you. So what's it going to be? You're going to preach or you're going to be a tech guru? And you have to make that decision. Um, so have a person or a persons. We, we have assigned two young people in our congregation the role of making sure service gets off without a hitch. They know now like, I have to set parameters on them. You cannot approach me with a tech issue at 1055. You know, that's just practical, hands down. If you're not here and have this thing set up in time, don't come at me. You're going to have to figure it out yourself. You know, uh, and, and they're good. They're good about it. They're there at 1030. We walk through it. Everything's fine. Um, those, those would be my biggest. And then I, I think, I don't know that we say this enough uh, and maybe this is a female clergy issue I don't know because a lot of my female pastor friends are overwhelmed and 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 zonked out but turn it off take a break take a nap that's what I'm talking about this Sunday you know take there's something sacred about the two o'clock hour for a pastor to literally be able to lay down and close her eyes and sleep because if we have done worship well whether we are in front of the pulpit or behind it, that's been an, a complete and total body experience. You know, Jesus tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's your entire being. And so if we worship in that capacity, we should be exhausted. You know, so there's something sacred about that holy nap time. I'll be at a restaurant and uh, <laughs> we'll be out to eat on Sunday. We did this. My parents came up for our first Sunday back and uh, it was getting to be 1.30 and I was like, it's time to go. that is great that is great you've given us really three at least three very practical points get the tools you need like wi-fi delegate and then be sure to take sabbath and rest that's very helpful very practical thank you for joining me with reverend audrey reese here on the leaders learning podcast Audrey taught us not to be surprised by the capability of the people we lead and serve. They are more ready than we often think they are. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I also hope you will listen to our next conversation. If you know someone I should speak with on the Leaders Learning Podcast, please send me an email to leaderslearning2020 at gmail.com. You can catch up on all of my conversations about leadership at the website leaderslearning.net. Also, I'm asking you for a favor. Please go give me a five-star review on Apple iTunes. God bless. 
and hope to be in touch soon.